When you build a character, do you always add a god or choose a pantheon to the character, even if it's not a cleric or uh, a divine caster? Here, grab your dice. Roll initiative. Got an 18. I got a 16. 17. Oh, wow. 18, 17, 16. Wow. Nice. Uh, the gods are with us tonight. Yeah. Uh, do I always choose a god or a faith for my characters regardless of Even if class? it's a warlock patron. You know, is there always a higher power that you're choosing? Yes. Why? Um, In one sentence or less. Fuck. Uh, There's your sentence. It, add, <laughs> it adds depth to the character at the very least. At sure. the very least, it adds another layer. A little bit of direction. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Terry? Direction. Um, I, I don't necessarily say this is my god. And that's mostly because I imagine that um, some characters may just come from a city where that city or that kingdom is expected to follow a certain god. That's just the one that everybody follows there. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily jump right into it unless it's like a cleric or a paladin or the obvious, you know. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I want to enter every single campaign without a god, and then finding an appropriate god to believe oh, that's on good. the way. That's a good idea. I like playing the the fighter who is listening to the paladin and going, yeah, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, okay, okay. okay. I see what you're doing. Converted. Yeah, I want to be converted in D&D. Yeah. Because I, I just don't think there's enough of that shit. So. Yeah. No. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation about role-playing clerics in D&D 5th edition. I'm Adam, and with me this week are Terry and Dan, and this episode is called Clerics Praying on the Enemy. (laughs) They're not going to get better, I'm letting you know that. No. Uh, Please don't make them better. (laughs) It it was going to be Pray the Gay Away. (laughs) Yikes. I I revel in the cheesiness when it comes to this stuff. I played in your campaigns, I I know. I campaigned for these... Episode titles to be included for a long time because I love them. I chuckle to myself in my car all the time, every week. It, it took us nearly like a hundred episodes to get to the point where we're actually saying the witty titles that Adam has put and on every been single so episode. So many from the first one because it comes up in my car, like when I'm driving, it comes up on my screen. And I'm always laughing at them. Yeah, my favorite was with the uh, silver and the uh, uh, on the gold, gold dragons. Yeah, because they yeah. were the chemical. Yeah, yeah. they're the chemical yeah. makeup. Was that the was pun. the one that was a like, very smart one because audio medium we may have had to explain, but. Yeah, sometimes it's it's in the spelling. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I change it on the way in, what, what the title is, and that always fucks me when I'm looking at the, these notes. So good job, Adam, <laughs> for setting yourself up and knock yourself down. So, uh, speaking of um, disappointments, let's talk about God. Oh. <laughs> no? No? <laughs> All right. You, you should pluralize that. So, Gods, there you so, go. God. Yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about pantheons and Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. Um, yeah. All right. So <laughs> we have talked previously about the cleric breakdown. That's in the first cleric episode where we did uh, life, light, and nature. And then um, the next one that we did covered all of that uh, flavorful stuff that they have at the beginning of Xanathar's, which is really useful and helpful. Um, we had some strong opinions about those as well. And now I want to talk about homebrew gods and pantheons because. There's a big-ass list in the back of the player's handbook about all the different gods and how they interact. Yeah. Um, or not even really how they interact, but what their domains are, right? So um, we also have Eberron and Ravnica and um, Theros especially really oh, yeah. breaks down their gods in a big way. I mean, the majority of the Theros book is all about gods. Mm-hmm. Sword Coast Adventures Guide is relatively useless except for geography and the gods. 
So there is that shit out there. And every time that they mention a new god, they list all of the domains, specifically for clerics and whatnot. How do you guys create your own pantheon? Have you ever done it? First mm. of all, I want to grab dice for this. Sure. Have you done it? And when you do, what what's your inspiration point? Where are you starting from? Sure. Okay. Natural twenty. Natural oh, twenty. Holy, holy shit! We got three twenties. Fuck Both just happened. Phone. Okay. Phone. And I so, don't want to say it, it, it. Whether or not it was divine intervention, I'm sure the gods have busier things to attend this to. This literally just fucking happened. Uh, yeah, I'm stopping everything. I'm taking a picture of the Stop twenty twenty. That's the end of the episode. Bang. There That's the end of the podcast. We could go home now. It, We've yeah, done it. It's done. This is a did we ever this is a one in eight thousand chance that we were going to do it. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. And we did it on episode ninety-one. Yeah. Huh. So well, I mean, did we've we rolled ever... dice so many times. Sure. But did we ever agree what we were going to do if it was three natural twins? I'm pretty sure that Brad's going to be pregnant by the end of this episode. Like that's not, not Brad's wife. Literally, Brad. So I don't know what to do with this. Okay. Um, we all okay. We all have to re-roll, but uh, no, we're gonna go to rock paper scissors for the rest of the for the rest of the episode. That's it. So for audio medium? medium, yeah. Well, we'll just we'll it's just, just gonna announce. sound like we're sitting here uh, like, it's not like they can see the dice anyway, right? Yeah, but are they could tell by our voices and what is going on that this is a real thing? Well, like we, we can we'll we'll do that. Yeah, but now it just sounds like we're a circle of jerks. Rock so, paper scissors, lizard spark. Uh, I love rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock, but I can never remember, I remember how, how Lizard goes. So, lizard bites Spock, gets crushed by rock, and uh, no gets idea. snipped by scissors. Gets snipped by scissors. Wait, wait, because I think we play it different in England. Of course. Do you pronounce it Spoke? <laughs> no, not do, do you not take away? Spock. Do you take away scissors and add the colonies? Like no. no. We go. It, it's stone, shears, and parchment, first yeah. of all. <laughs> Boulder. Boulder, parchment, shears. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Okay, no. Like, no, we go one, two, three, show. But I think in Canada, you go one, two, show. No, I go one, two, three. Uh, it's it's up to debate. Just like just like whether or not we add a U to some spelling. Some people argue American. Some people argue the proper God's Eng- uh, Queen's English. But... I, I just, no one says one, two, three, show. It's one, two, three, shoot. Isn't it? God damn it. Why All right. would it be shoot, America? Because you're shooting the... like. The, we don't just, shoot anything in this country. We shoot called, lots of things in this country. respect. Canadians are some of the best snipers in the world. We shoot lots of the stuff in this country. The only thing that I shoot is the shit. Anyway, let's get back to it. Okay. So, rock, paper, scissors, who's going to answer this, all right? One, two, three, show, I guess? Yes. Okay. Yeah. One, two, two three, three, civilize. Show. Well, Terry's Terry going goes first. <laughs> and then Dan and I will rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> after okay. What was the question? <laughs> uh, homemade pantheons. Have I ever created one? No. That's because when it comes to D&D, I rarely complete things. Um, so I have started, and it was based on... I like to do um, gods and things that are divine based on things that are already within human nature. And so I kind of went down the path of emotions, and the idea being that gods are all based on various emotions, but you have to keep them in balance. You can't run away with one. So you, you need to... To, to use all of the emotions, you need to feel anger, you need to feel joy, you need to feel sadness so that the gods get, like, it's like praying for them, you know, mm-hmm. that they get their time in the limelight. But if you go too far down one path, it will consume you. And these gods are not necessarily good. They're like neutral. and they, But they want to consume you. So if you become too angry and you stray down that path, that will consume you and that will become your story of what you do. Kind cool. Of there. I really like that, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basing it off of emotion is is unique because I've seen... Human I, nature. I've, I've seen a lot of people like base it off of pre-existing gods and then they just change the names, 
right? The amount of Zeus equivalents. Yeah. Yeah, there's always a lightning seen enough of Ares right? and Mons. Yeah. Dude in a toga with a white beard walking across the clouds, right? Yeah. Yeah. I see that a lot. Like, and, and we don't necessarily... I mean, I, Theros just came out and it's a great uh, campaign setting, but there is... I mean, it's Greek. It's Greek. It's very much Greek and Roman mythology. Mm. So, yeah. Anyways, Adam, you and I have to... Yeah, all right. Rock, paper, scissors. One, two, three, shoot. What was that, Dane? That was all right, fine. You go first. Okay. Uh, yes, I do. And what I typically base them off of is the alignment chart. Ah. Um, I The alignment chart is... That's old school D&D. It is old school D&D. Um, and it is just second nature to me to base things off of it. That being said, um, with my homebrew world that I'm still building when I have a moment's break in my mind and I want to tackle it uh, is called Garen Genis. And uh, we've mentioned it before. The gods in that world are kind of a mixture of basing them off of the alignment chart and shadow of the Colossus. So the gods are these, you know, dozens of stories, tall stone uh, monstrosities that are literally walking the earth. Mm -hmm. So um, what I did with that is depending on what their, um, what their spot on the alignment was, I also thought of the negative of it too, and the gods are uh, both have positive and negative aspects to it. So, like the god of order is also the god of currency. So, the god of uh, uh, trade and barter is all the same god, um, and his his people run the bank and are usually a bunch of assholes because they're just about you know making sure everyone's in the black. Um, whereas like the God of the chaotic good God is a wolf who is in constant struggle with the, uh, chaotic evil God. I think it's been a while since I built it, but, uh, it's this constant struggle over this piece of land and it's a wolf. And I think the other one is a bear. So, Mm. and they're constantly fighting, um, which is cool considering their stories, tall things, but they're all based off of the alignments and, like chaotic good is nature, chaotic evil is destruction and hell and fire and and all that. So man, I yeah, like I, I I I've said it before. Going the deific route, going the pantheon route in D anD D is one of my favorite things to do in this game. So I tend to put a lot of work into it. Yeah, right. It's, well, it's it. usually one of the first things I build in a campaign. Whatever you enjoyed, to, like take a deep dive into it, and it yeah. usually means that when you're playing somebody else's game, you you'll experience something that much in much more depth than you that you yourself wouldn't necessarily explore as much well adam when i joined the our uh, game with adam way back when and he handed me a bible and said uh he said my players haven't read this, this yet <laughs> yeah. no, he said my players haven't read this yet um i don't think anyone will and i went you it's a bible yeah, I'll read it. It was like 90 pages of like scripture. And I, I, I worked my way through it. And, and then I started uh, sending Adam questions. And then we played like four sessions and very little God stuff was popping up in those sessions. And then I started sending Adam questions and then more God stuff started popping yeah. up and more and more. Yeah, nobody gave a shit, right? Yeah, so. no one gave a shit. And then I was just like, look at all this stuff. And then my favorite part was when I looked across the table and went, oh, yeah, no, here's the answer to this one thing. And you guys, who had been in the same campaign for two years, right. hadn't made that connection. No. And it was in the Bible Adam gave you in, like, the second session. I'm not very good at d and <laughs> like, That's a level of homework that no player should be expected to do. Yeah. Yeah. These were my notes for my shit, and then I got bored on a weekend with nothing to do. And so I sat down, and I'm like, okay, well, if this is this, and that's that, and these are the relationships between them. And so I, I started to build from there. Yeah. Um, 
So is it my turn? Yeah, it is yeah. your turn. Okay, yeah. so um, I have been really disappointed with the D&D gods because I don't believe that they are gods. I think that they are just superpowered aliens that live in that realm over there that like to swing their dicks around sometimes and tell people what the fuck to do. Uh, Scientology. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Don't, don't sue, sue us. us. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, uh, um, fuck you. That's the third time we've fucking done that. We call them out and each time Adam and I, don't sue us. Yes, yeah. specifically Scientology. Yeah. And it's always you that brings it up. What are they going to do? Well, sue us. Yeah, the, yes, they will. And if they show up, we rolled three nat twenty, so you we're we're invincible today. Yeah. Anyway, so my big thing when I when I build a pantheon, my my gods that I want to build, I look back at what people used to worship. Right. We're dealing with medieval times, and not just medieval. Sometimes it's Roman or Greek themed, like with Theros. Like we have kind of these old school inspirations of previous um, civilizations and the gods they believed in. But I like to go back even further to Mesopotamia. Right. To when all of the gods had one syllable. Like, we, I, I pray to Ig. I pray to, you know, Bo. Right? And these old school, like, pagan, scary gods that mm-hmm. lurked in the darkness beyond your campfire. Right? And what did people pray to back then? They prayed to the very basic things that they understood, which was uh, rest, war, uh, land, sea, yeah. air. Um, like the four elements, mm-hmm. um, fire was a big thing that people prayed to, the sun, the moon, that kind of thing. And then I always try to add an extra layer of metaphor to it. Um, and so um, I I created my own gods that live above the D&D gods. Who created Coralon? It always pissed me off that Coralon just was. Yeah. Right? There's no actual beginning to the D&D pantheon. And I keep waiting for every, on every audition. Every edition they do, I'm like, are we going to get the beginning of the gods now? Is this what we're going to... No? All right. So we're just going to dick around a little bit more with the weave and... Oh, it's a spell plague. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, maybe we. Maybe they don't know. I think people. that they're leaving it purposefully vague because if you create it, then people will try to fight it. Right, right. Um, and in previous editions, they have given us stat blocks for gods. This is a level 53. And they used to give... Dan Cribb, if I'm wrong on this, they used to give... Um, class levels to it like this is a level 21 paladin 38 sorcerer and, oh, and yeah. 17 wizard really you sit there and be like what the fuck am i looking at here right yeah and and people would try to kill them you would play epic level campaigns where you get up to level 50 so you could wipe out a god and that was always the goal and they've gotten rid of that now well the other thing was uh mythic level play which is what post level 20 was always called was horribly unbalanced um so it a lot of people would get up there to fight gods and stuff and they have the most ridiculous characters when you can teleport across the world in a blink of an eye and one punch the tarask out of existence why can why? yeah why yeah, can you not just you do are you, you want? are one of the gods now, yeah right and, so. the, and then you're just playing a game of god level political intrigue which i mean is fine if that's what you're interested in but yeah. Do you guys have any tips or tricks for when you create a Pantheon? Besides where you start from, do you have another layer that you add to it? Uh... Yes. Yes, for sure. Uh, one of the things you should really be mindful, if you are building a homebrew campaign and you are building your own Pantheon from scratch, you have to make sure you include all of the domains. So if you build a Pantheon and figure out that none of my gods are trickery gods, rebuild your Pantheon or figure out some way to put the trickery domain in 
Um, this is mostly because if you are going through the effort of building an entire campaign world and campaign setting, not just an adventure arc in a custom homebrew world, but like a fully fleshed out world in and of itself, you might run one or two or three campaigns in there. You're going to want to have options for players to build the characters they want to play, right? We, we always are harping on the thing of not being adversarial DMs, actively not including full sections of the book that someone might go into and like unrepentantly doing it is 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 adversarial dming yeah just before dice are even rolled look so the first thing that i said to dan when he joined our campaign was hey look just so you know resurrection magic is not on the table and teleportation stuff is a little bit wonky things work differently and i i tweaked a bunch of spells and stuff but there was a reason in world and that shit is slowly unlocking as the campaign goes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the idea of the discovery of this magic. So there's a purpose behind it. If you're just saying, hey, you know what? No monks. I just don't like monks, so no monks. Don't do that. You're an asshole. Yeah, you're just, you're just being a dick. I feel that way about some of these alternative campaign settings that we've gotten. The Magic the Gathering ones and Eberron. They're straight up missing some of no the races. No dwarves. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ravnica what? There's no dwarves? Yeah, it seems to cause more damage than benefit. It's like when you're weighing up the pros and cons, it's like, okay, I'm sure there's a reason and maybe I can see why. But the 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 amount of backlash you're going to get and the, the amount of things that have been removed because of this, it doesn't seem worth it. Yeah, the fact that they take out dwarves and then put in elephant people. And I understand it's part of the the game and it's like part of the card game. Like this is the setting that they have, where there are no have. dwarves in this. And but sure, that's come fine. on, man. If you're gonna try to make a D and D thing, at least have the core D and D races. Yeah, in there. I agree with that. Agree so with that. okay, so your thing then is make sure you're not discluding mechanics in the game uh, for especially like character creation. So like, make sure you have your domains covered, right? Make sure you have all of your patron stuff covered um yeah missing a domain is the same thing to me as missing a school of magic yeah it's it's a noticeable void right uh the other side of that coin when we start talking like warlocks and patrons and stuff like that as well um you run the risk of uh you run the risk of having your uh patrons and everyone interact really weirdly in your campaigns if you just don't include full-on things right and the second you're removing uh patrons that's when you have players coming up to you and going hey can we can we custom build one and especially if you are a new dm or you are just a novice dm don't build a subclass don't don't homebrew your own subclass don't do that run stock out of the book and then if you get that experience build the subclass after because Honestly, if you are homebrewing subclasses and you are fresh to this game, it is going to end overpowered. Yeah, your party's going to be imbalanced. Yeah. Terry, do you have anything, like any tips or tricks for anyone that's going to homebrew a Pantheon? What Dan said was fantastic, and I'm not going to outdo what Dan said at all, but I will kind of add on, because you talked about not being adversarial, and it it reminded me of of a point. I think when you're building a Pantheon, it's the same as like a company, any business, right? Nobody gives a shit about that business as much as the owner of that business mm-hmm. okay and you run into these companies where they'll like over brand things i used to work for a very famous orange colored company that was fucking orange everything fresh squeeze this dude that people don't give a shit so if 
if you if you have a pantheon, you're going to be very proud of it and you're going to want to eject it everywhere. And that's great. But don't cripple the game by just smothering it everywhere. Yeah, yeah you can get stuck with your My Precious Game Syndrome. Exactly, exactly. And people will enjoy your pantheon because fantasy and gods, it's fun. But don't don't smother that campaign with that because people are going to start to resent it because they can't do anything because this god wouldn't allow it. And no, we can't do this. We have to dress like this in this town. People, that's not escapism for people. No. Yeah. <coughs> so my big hint for everyone is think about your iconography and what it means. Yeah. So in my own personal pantheon, I sat down and I gave gods um, essentially to... Um, Earth, fire, uh, wind, and air. I also gave one to the sun and knowledge, and also the night and rest. Right. Um, and then life and death. Those all got gods. There was one big creator god over top of it all. Um, and then I gave demigods. I'm going to talk about my demigods for just a second here. Because each one of the gods got a demigod. And the demigod of... Um, or so there was the god of air got a demigod of things that could fly. But also, they're going to get the demigod of sound. Because it occurred to me that everything that can fly makes a definitive sound. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not true of everything that can swim. So, um, the icon like the icon that I got for this was the sparrow with the woman's face. How much stuff do you get um, in, when you go to explore other people's um, religions and stuff where you see a man with a jackal head, mm-hmm. if it's Egyptian or... Um, someone cloaked with feathers and they're half bird person and a uh, shout out to bird person. Um, and like, she's called the Raven queen. No, I'm talking about actual bird person. Who's bird person? Who's bird Is this a superhero person? I don't know about? Oh, fuck's sakes. Those of you online, you know what I'm talking about. So, um, but the, um, demigod of the earth was the one of, of animals and things that were bound to the earth. That was a triceratops with a woman's face. Um, the, um, god of speed was in the water. Um, and so the, that's the demigod of all fish. So it was a dolphin with a man's face and I'm just consistently taking animals and slapping a face to them. I don't like this. It feels weird and strange, but that is the kind of shit that you see on totem poles and on old etchings and whatnot. Right. And so this is what I was thinking of. Um, and so there's one of, um, of nature, uh, the God of nature made a demigod of, uh, plants and plant life. And they got a tree with a woman's face in the middle of it and that's standard in most like yeah yeah that's pretty uh, like common. lore right so i consistently was doing this the goddess of death got a bunch of demigods which i gave conflict need and disease which if you think about it is uh war famine and pestilence so yeah. i was building my four horsemen at the same time and that's a hyena for war a serpent for famine and a spider for pestilence mm. right so i'm i'm consistent and each of them has a human face on them as well so it's very clear when you walk into a temple what you're dealing with. Yeah. When you walk in and everything here is hyenas, you know you've been fighting gnolls for a while coming up to it, right? And the same thing, the drow are going to be around the spider people and and the spider god. And and that's going to do things like link the drow to the idea of disease in your own personal world. Because you may not have an underdark, so what do you do with that? Yeah, exactly. So by coming up with these iconography pieces, you're going to start thinking more about that extra layer, that extra level beneath or or below the surface level of, oh, yes, we're walking into a temple and the temple just has really big pillars and there's an altar to the left and there's a big stone slab to the right and there's some baskets over here for some some sacrifices of fruit and vegetables 
and you walk in, everything's made of marble, and there's a dude in a robe that walks up to you. I've just described every temple. Yeah, a perfectly swept stone floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, sometimes the lighting is very good, and sometimes it's very bad, and that's how you can tell if it's good or evil, right? And so these are the majority of your pantheon, like your homebrew pantheon um, temples and locations. But the moment you start to give actual iconography to your gods... Um, they're going to be easily identifiable to the point where you can pass totems or people that have little necklaces that are in the shape of a dolphin or um, a shark if it's the war side of speed or right. like you're, whatever You're literally giving a face to the name to your players, which is going to help flesh out your campaign world so it much. It makes it more memorable because they don't, they're not going to remember the bullshit names that you came up with. Yeah. Right? And that's my, that's my other thing is don't give crazy 14 syllables uh, of a name with... Uh, six different titles and like it, it's too fucking much that used to be called by, by a different name yeah yeah exactly. so i do like having the idea of there being these interactions and relationships between the gods i think there should be the gods are a family so when you are building this that's why i built my bible i wanted to see them interact with each other yeah fair enough and my bible was the creation myth of the gods and i wanted to end with the creation myth of the demigods and then the gods leaving but I needed a reason for them to leave. Which, and it's got to be God-level shit because they don't give a fuck what bears are doing. <laughs> right? They're shitting in the woods. And that's how we made them. Right? <laughs> so I don't give a fuck. The other gods that I didn't make keep fucking around. Right? And so um, one of the things that I was thinking of was fire is war, usually. and uh, But it's also destruction. So how can I make this a good god? It's also passion. And when fire falls in love with nature, it ruins nature. And the rest of the gods, in, like, imprisoned the fire god. And that's why humans didn't get fire until later. Because the fire god burned down nature's domain because he was in love with her. Right. That shit was... You, it, could, you could just keep going with that. Yeah, and, and it's just simply by knowing what my icons are, knowing what the... relate, And I'm just telling a story. Yeah. I didn't go into this. I'm just yeah. like, what, what are the domains? What are the things they're going to do? And then... I slowly start to push them together. Obviously, the fire one is forge, yeah. but also war, right? Um, and well, so the, this this is just the building up of it. If if you are building your own homebrew world and you really want to add some life, the gods are going to come in, and you have to start with the understanding that we are approaching gods much like Roman and Greek mythology, just much like where the gods have personality, and the personality amongst the pantheon is different. Having your icons is going to help influence that. Having your domains is going to help influence that. And and having their alignment ideas is going to help influence that. The one thing I would encourage as well on top of, uh, on top of all of this is uh, we always attribute gods to being unknowable, unfathomable, all that other nonsense. But if you have personality, they can be known. So if they can be known and they have personality and... and all of that stuff is put in together. Um, one of the things I've seen pop up on a lot of tables is all of the gods are capricious. All of the gods are evil. All the gods are selfish. No, no. Uh, please, friends, if you are building a campaign with your own pantheon, make sure that there are evil gods and good gods. And there I should be completely altruistic. There should be at least one completely altruistic god. If some fucky shit has happened with him and or her and they are... In the middle of the abyss being ruled over by Asmodeus. Yeah, okay, cool, right? But have that altruistic god there, right? Um, if you if you lose that balance on the divine level, 
you lose that balance on the material level. So have have a clear delineation of who's good, who's evil, and and not at least to yourself when you're doing this, and that will reflect in the world we're building. Dan, you're dropping bombs tonight. I think also if you're gonna go down solely in one direction, that there's no game anymore in that if all the gods are evil the world is awful there's no point in any of this anyway what are we even trying to achieve it seems that all the gods are good well there's no problems because we're not yeah, fighting right. we're, everything's okay well i don't know because i think that i'm gonna play devil's advocate i generally speaking <laughs> nice. generally speaking you're right okay but but here's the thing when the when the gods are all evil then your story is freeing you from the from the bind from right. the from the shackles of the evil gods, right? If all of the gods are good, then why is there still like famine and war and like these are big philosophical questions? They that, are. They're that, now in a D and D game. <laughs> yeah, and you can go as deep with it as you would like, or you can keep it surface level. But I don't mind them all being good because if the gods are good, then the demigods or the devils or the whatever well, are evil, right? That that's the thing, right? Like if you are going to have all of your gods are good, you still have to have an explanation of why are there no evil gods. This is one of right? my problems with D and D and the way that they have it set up in the base um, line here is we have good gods. We have evil gods. We have gods for every one of the spectrum, uh, uh, every part of the spectrum of the Great Wheel, right? But then we have demon lords and arch devils, but there's nothing that level for the Celestials. Yeah, yeah, we brought that up before as well. I, I don't know because they've started doing that kind of stuff. We have Rime of the Frostmaiden, which just came out. We have a she's called a god of winter's wrath. I think is what her thing is. But she's not uh, an alignment-based god. She is just strictly... She's an elemental-based god. Elsa. Right? Yeah. Uh, I Yes. Would, I have made that parallel before, mm. and it always makes Dan twitch. But my big issue with that is the fact that why is she a god? Who is worshipping this god? Is she just not a powerful person that, spoiler alert, you're going to kill by level 9? Because if that's the case, is she a god... Or does she want... And this is my problem with D&D gods, right? That's why I had to make my own that oversee these brand... Or these grand broad, like, themes and whatnot. Yeah. So that we've got the god of fire, who is going to reign over everything lower planes as well, but not be evil. There just has to be a place for evil creatures that have been corrupted. So they live here. The goddess of death is not evil. She's as neutral as it comes. She's just really sad. Right. Because nothing... She can never enjoy life... And and not not even I don't want to say random or chaos, but but spontaneity. Everything every day is the same as the day before, and everyone bemoans her and hates her. That's a sad existence. Yeah. Right. And so in my world, my campaign, she's wiping clean existence to start again, so that she can be a different god because she doesn't want to do this anymore. Uh, unfortunately, for the mortals Man, that are on the like world right now, suicide. yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, for the mortals on the world right now, that means our existence ends, and of course, we're going to put up a fight. Of course. But, but, and her perspective is that's okay. It's all right. I'll make more. Yeah, I just can't make when I'm the goddess of death. So trust me, right? That is a horrible gray area D and D campaign so to good. be in, and and this is, and it's because I sat down and I went, okay, so what is the relationship between the goddess of life? And the goddess of death. They're sisters. And they work together to give a life cycle. But they're always on opposite sides. 
Like that's that's gotta be hard. Adam, this is deep. Well, when I when you start to deal with your pantheon, this is the big question you start to ask. You can't just say, "Oh, this guy looks like Thor, but he's got uh, uh, fire powers." Yeah, right. And so I'm not. I, I don't care. Yeah. Right. Just just use Thor or pick one of the many many gods provided in the back of the book, and they're actually really fun. I kind of want to play an Egyptian campaign because uh, they give you all the Egyptian gods. When I was in school, studying ancient Egypt was the, my right? favorite thing that we did. Right? Yeah. I, I Like, I see the back of the book of the Player's Handbook and I see the gods. I did not know Oriole was part of it. Yeah. Right? And and there she is, right at the top. The goddess of winter, neutral evil, uh, nature and tempest. I like how it suggested domains. Yeah. Yeah, right? But, like, I, I look at the lists and... There are some notable inclusions. Like, they included the gods of Dragonlance, and when was the last time we had a Dragonlance book uh, published? I figure it's going to come, right? It's got to come. But some people are probably still playing in Dragonlance, and and they are going to carry... You know, Critical Role carried their campaign over from Pathfinder into 5th edition. That's why Serenray was there, yeah. Yeah, right. right? And so, you do have to acknowledge these things and what's going to make it easier for you to port your paladin over. Mm -hmm. Right? So, I understand why there is that... It's weird that they included some and not others, but I believe the Eberron gods are in the back of the player's handbook yep. too. They're they're back here as well, including the Dark Six and other faiths and whatnot. Then there's just the non-human deities, and these are the deities of just the races, which, which is, is weird. fun to pull on. But that, that's where you have your and all these other gods that are impossible to pronounce. But it's also weird that they don't get full pantheons. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Drow do, but the Durgar get three. Mm -hmm. The Yuan-Ti, which are just cultists. You'd think they would have more than, I think they get three gods stock in 5th edition. And it's listed in the UNT section of Volos, I want to say. Yeah. Like, it's buried deep. That's, it's snake cults. You can go crazy with that shit. Yeah. Go Indiana Jones with that. You can have an entire pantheon with thousands of, how many different kinds of snakes are there? There's poisonous ones, there's there's constrictors, there's, I mean, there's ones with the, with the big cobra hoods. Yeah. We're not doing enough. With this, there's right? ones that just imitate other ones. If yeah, and we have we have enough different kinds of UNT. Why do we not have all these different kinds of gods? Like I get it for the goblin gods, Maglubi, it's a piece of shit and came in and killed everybody else, right? I get it for Grum, she's not going to suffer fools. He's got a handful of others with them, but he's not going to allow there to be a big pantheon, right? Mm. Right. However, the elven gods get a big fleshing out. Dwarven gods do, but the halfling gods, they get like what? Well, Yondala's here. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> right? And there are other ones that are around, but you got to go looking for them, and a lot of them are in Greyhawk. Yeah. Right? And so... Well, that's the way they built it way back in the day, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's the way Gary Gygax built Greyhawk's gods, was he built it based off the races. That was his first focus. And this is, again, my problem with, with doing that, right? So because the gods are based on the races only, we get one god per race, even though you're going to spend the same amount of time as a human will playing this campaign, right? Yeah. The human gets a pantheon, you get the one, right? And you had better be that alignment with that domain in order to pray to them. Otherwise, you're fucked. If you want to play a, a chaotic evil halfling... You're not praying to your to your halfling god, right? So what the shit? Yeah. Why did we not get an evil halfling god? And and we're just not getting enough. This is why I feel like we're always having to build more. And I really suggest the people out there do continue to build. Um, 
if you have a really good pantheon that you've built and you have a good rhyme or reason that you think is creative and unique or you just want us to take a look at it, send it to us, guys. Like, we want to see the kind of shit you guys are building because um, it helps us building our own campaigns as well, right? So I have been, like, like I'm not kidding, this freaking close to just recording me speaking my Bible out and releasing it as a special episode. But I'm not sure anyone would give a shit. You you have to Somebody do it. Would. You have to do it like a fire and brimstone preacher. Oh, I'm going to be a snake handler that's, that's if, like TV evangelist up there. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. Like, And if you send a check for just $5, <laughs> God. If you, if you go to our website and donate, <laughs> we can stay on the air for another two months. Right. No, seriously, go to our website and donate. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking of that, let's go to a commercial. Hey guys, Dan here. If you remember this time last year, us here at the It's a Mimic podcast were working on and releasing a small Call of Cthulhu campaign. Because hey, it's that spooky time of year, and what's more spooky than the Elder Gods slowly invading our reality, bending our minds to their wills, making us sacrifice to further their dark sirens' calls. <coughs> Anyways, um, by popular demand, we're at it again, this time helmed by the podcast's own keeper of arcane secrets, Adam. Starting on October 13th and then every 13th of the month for the next year, the story I started in Radiance Yukon will continue towards a little southern rural town named Amelia. So make sure you download and listen to the many roads to Amelia. And if you're hungry for more Call of Cthulhu actual play, you can always refresh your lore with the deep dark of Radiance in our back catalog. Anyways, back to the show. So, I know that we've got to roll dice here again. Now, we're doing three different um, uh, cleric domains, again, because there's a fucking million of them. But uh, And I think we're getting even more with Tasha's that's coming out. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which ought to bring us up to 13. I like clerics now, so yeah. I'm all right with it. Yeah, uh, yes, very much so. But let's uh, let's start talking about these three subclasses. So we're going to do rock, paper, scissors again so we don't touch our trinity of dice. We don't touch. Oh, sorry, okay, hold on. Here's one thing that I didn't say before, Dan. I don't like using the christian god and bible as a as a backdrop no, or, or an inspiration because it is and solely because you can say trinity all you want it's one entity yes and therefore there's no intrigue level of god nonsense which is what i'm looking for when i build a pantheon right i need it to be a little bit more complex th than just i hold up my holy symbol and save your soul right and that's that's what a lot of people think of when they when it comes to clerics. I don't want to do that. I want to do the the people that are praying at the temple of Hera or Zeus or. Can I just say? Um, and and I, I completely agree with you. I I very rarely put the Judeo Christian God inside of my campaigns or or a facsimile of inside my campaigns for two reasons. One, the exactly what you said. It lacks the intrigue, lacks the drama. But two, I play with a lot of people who I go to church with. And if I'm injecting that into the campaign, uh, considering the 1980s satanic panic and how the church perceives this game to this day, to this day, it cuts it a bit too close to home. So I remove that so that it doesn't. Yeah. Right. People are not going to be able to enjoy the game if it's uh, encroaching on their territory in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's a certain amount of escapism that that I want to encourage when it comes. Yeah. To you don't want every 20 minutes someone going, "Hey, man." I don't know about that. Yeah. Although the the offshoot, the branches, the side quests and missions, the 
the other literal or sorry literary sides of Christianity, Paradise Lost, um, your Dante's Inferno. These are rife for inspiration. Yep. When you are exploring how gods are interacting or the idea of judgment and punishment. When or, you're putting in visions and omens and things like that, going to the Bible for inspiration for those things is great. I love having the God writing on a wall. Yeah, yeah that's great. The burning like, bush, super, super like yeah. I, I use tablets with rules on them all the time, right? I love that shit. Yeah. However, when it comes to my actual plot points or the personalities of gods, I don't go to the Bible. I go to these literary works that are inspired mm. by the Bible because you just get a little bit more out of it. Um, and as much as you can say the imagery of the creation with the Adam and Eve with the serpent and all that shit is great or Noah's Ark and the two of each animal, as much as you can like pull on these, I find that it's so commonplace. I don't need, I don't need to do that. The same way that I don't inject the Justice League into my fucking um, D&D campaign. Well, the Justice right. League is just basically a reskinning of the Greek pantheon, right? Like Superman is Zeus and... That, the, no, that's an interpretation afterwards. And that came because Wonder Woman is moderately Greek-ish, yeah. right? I mean, she is and she isn't. It's a little on the nose sometimes, but... Her main I, villain is often Ares, so... Well, I'm just saying that the guys that made Superman and the guys that made Batman were not thinking about the Greek pantheon when True. they built it, yeah. right? But when they put together the ideal of the Justice League, they sat down and said, what other what other group of super-powered you know, characters exists out there? And they looked for inspiration when they chose the members of it, yeah. right? So they grabbed the three big people that sell comic books, and then they started to add other ones after that right so um then that's how they got their success this is why we have things like the defenders which came before the avengers and failed the original justice league which kind of sucked ass until you got batman and superman to join it and then they found the right formula and they've essentially been sticking with it yeah. since then right so um anyway let's move on to these uh these domains now we're doing the quote-unquote evil clerics so this is war death and grave Yep. That's what people think of when they look at these. I'm going to hard disagree yep, me with too. them being evil, but I can definitely see why you would go that way and why you would choose these domains to play an evil cleric if you wanted to do that. Yeah, These these are the three that you would really lean into. It's easy to it do is. evil. So, yeah. yeah. I get it. So um, let's, uh, let's rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to go first. One, One two, two, three, three, go. All right, Dan's going first. Wow. All right, so... Dan um, just smashed his both. Uh, with with the rock in my hand, yeah. Uh, so Harry as... and I were scissoring. <laughs> Continue. I'd rather not. Uh, anyways, so I'm the war domain. Um, I've mostly picked this because I've played one before. I love the war domain. Um, back in old school D and D, I played. Whenever I played a cleric, he was a cleric accord. Well, Terry just finished playing a war domain cleric too, didn't he? Loved it. Yeah, they're, they're freaking great. And in my opinion, when you're playing. A very combat-oriented D&D, they are the iconic cleric in my mind. Yeah, they're awesome. More so than, like, your life cleric, right? These guys are the ones I think of first when I'm when I'm playing a very high That's combat. a hot take, but I'll let you have it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh... Like I could take it away. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
as it says in the book, it uh, war has many different facets. It, it it makes heroes of people. It also tears people down. And when um, gods focus on the the idea of war, they tend to be these gods of battle and heroism and honor and strength, um, or the flip side of those traits. Uh, you have gods that in the book are included, such as Torm, Heronius, uh, Kord. These are all war gods, whereas, you know, um, Erathnal, uh, Groomsh, Ares. These are gods of just general war and battle. Um, and then you get gods of conquest and domination like Bane and Hextor and Megubliet. Um, and anyone using one of Dan's pieces of furniture. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there is also other gods that are more Thunder, Lightning, Tempest level gods that often include the War Domain. Because... It's not uncommon to see the fist clutching a lightning bolt and yeah, that's... That's literally Hextor. No, I know, but yeah. it's, it's, it's not unusual to see that. Just people will latch on to that. It's, it's a weapon in a gauntlet is usually... Sorry, Hextor is a gauntlet with arrows. I had to... Got, there's so many icons in my head, I can't... Well, and, and, and this is another problem with D&D, is there's so many fucking gods that most people will just make their own, because where do you start? Yeah. Right, and this is often one of those things I put in a package to include to my players at the beginning of a campaign, right? This, this is why I really wish that Sword Coast Adventures guide had done a better fucking job with Redo this Redo it. Come on, just, yeah, just, just give us redo Just it. redo it, we'll G- take it. Give us a Forgotten Realms gazetteer like we're getting with Eberron and... Ravnica and all these other ones, right? And Exandria. Like, yeah. We're getting it all over the place anyway. Let's... Don't assume that we know it just because it's been the main edition for an edition. Yeah. Because 3.5 was Greyhawk. They made the switch to Forgotten Realms for 4th edition, for and which bombed, right? So now we are... Forgotten Realms is the main edition, or is rather the, the main campaign setting. We don't have any sort of real support other than what we're reading between the lines in, you know, modules. Give us a gazetteer. Yeah. Anyways, War Domain. Uh, Going to go over the spells that they get first for Domain spells because that's a massive part of the Domains that often gets overlooked. At first level, you get Divine Favor and Shield of Faith. Third level, you get Magic Weapon and Spiritual Weapon. Gee, I wonder what they're building you up to be able to do. Fifth uh, level, you get Crusaders, Mantle, and Spirit Guardians. Seventh level, you get Freedom of Movement. Thank God. Such a great spell. And Stone Skin. Ninth level, you get Flame Strike and Hold Monster. Yeah, you're out there to wreck shit. You're yeah. out. You're out there to it's ruin awesome. someone's day in the name of your god. Just trashing shit all over the yep. place. Well, hold on, hold on. What was that? Flame Strike. Yep. I would, depending on your god, I would let you change that. If yours is a nature god, uh, like that's war and nature, or war and tempest, I would let you pick some sort of comparable damaging spell to. to yeah. Fill in there. Right? I'd also let you tweak the, the the element of it in a way. So, for those who don't know, I'll just go over it real quick. Flame Strike is a fifth level evoc- Flame Strike is a fifth level evocation spell. Um, it, you you summon forth a column of divine fire that roars down from the heavens at in a location you specify. Each creature in a ten foot radius, forty foot high cylinder, centered on a point within range. Makes a dex save. They take 46 fire and 46 radiant on a failed save. Higher levels, it gets better. As and honestly, I would just I would just have that be water strike or cold strike or whatever it is that you need to yeah. do, right? Yeah. To, to flavor it differently as you need for your own 
personal character. Yeah, yeah uh, vines come out of the ground and inflict 46 poison and 46 bludgeoning damage. Yeah. Sure. Right? Stuff like that. Um, anyways, so you could not be a war cleric without the ability to wear heavy armor and wield whatever the fuck you wanted. So at you at first level, you get proficiency with martial weapons and heavy armor. So this is one of the reasons why I think they're iconic clerics in my mind. I don't understand why clerics just stock did not get heavy armor. That I understand is a holdover from previous editions, and that's why, but... Because then they're going to sit there shoulder to shoulder with a paladin, and it takes away the uniqueness of a paladin. That's yeah, that's, that's fair. right, and the fighters as well. Like the clerics are already wrecking shit anyway. Yeah, your spells are going to do most of your damage for you anyway. I mean, most clerics are relying on guiding bolt and, and spiritual weapons, and you know, spirit guardians and that shit in the first place. Yep. So I mean, yeah, you're in there mixing it up, but you're not front line. No. You're standing directly behind front line. Yeah. So, also at first level, you get the War Priest ability, which uh, a number of times equal to your Wisdom modifier. When you make an attack action, you can make one weapon attack as a bonus action. I remember this. Um, this is really good if you are, you know, slinging a two-handed maul or a two-handed sword or a two-handed axe. Because often the bonus attack, the bonus attack has to be a light or whatever weapon. Or unarmed. Or unarmed. That's not the case. You get two great axe swings. Have fun. Yeah, right? Barbarians eat your heart out. And, and this is wisdom. This is your main stat. So you'll be able to do this uh, five, four, four, five. four or five times a day. Um, and you gain all expended uses on a long rest. That's the one thing. That's standard with Cleric, though. They recharge shit on long rest. Yeah. Right? At second level, you get your first uh, channel divinity, which is guided strike. Um, you make attack rolls with supernatural accuracy. Um, when you roll an attack roll, you can use your channel divinity to gain a plus 10 to the roll. Yeah. Yeah. Just guaranteeing a hit, basically. Pretty much. You can make this choice after you see the roll, but before the DM says whether the attack hits or misses. Sure. Okay. So you're using this on 12s and 13s. You're probably not going to blow this on a 7 or an 8. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, at 6th level, you get your next channel divinity, which is War God's Blessing, which is when a creature within 30 feet of you makes an attack roll, you can use your reaction to grant that creature a plus 10 bonus to the roll using your channel divinity. Cool. Okay. Again, you uh, make this choice after you see the roll, but before the DM judges what oh, the roll is. one of those ones you got to be quick. you got to be real quick because yeah. the amount of times I've sat at a table and the cleric goes, oh, I got a 17. And before the 17 is out, the the DM knows the thing's got 20 armor. Oh, that's yeah. a miss. It's tough. And often on somebody else's turn, it, it, it in the spirit of efficiency, you're usually prepping what you're going to do next, right? Or, or if you are a bad player, you're on your phone or otherwise distracted. And then mm. 10 seconds later, you speak up. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, I want to add that. No, buddy. Pay attention to everybody's turns. Yeah. Right? Be a good player. And, Just, you'll, and you'll catch this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping in mind as well that you get your second use of your channel divinity at level six and your third at level 17. Yeah. So um, it's actually pretty powerful to be able to do this shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Recharges on rest. I mean, right? that's a good strategy for keeping people engaged if we have more magic items that we put out to the players that rely on that type of mechanic. The um, problem is with the limitation of reactions, mm -hmm. right? You use your reaction to grant one creature a plus 10 bonus. Yeah, but you still have to call it on your own thing, which is not a reaction. You just call it. 
Uh, on your own, yes, for the one you get a second level. Yeah. But like for this one, you can't do it multiple times in a turn right. with multiple allies. That's the thing that I yeah, but that's fine for me. Like I'm okay with that. I if you're sitting there going and you get plus ten and you get plus ten and you then, also get plus ten, then you're a bard. Yeah, right. And so don't eh. yeah. Or you're a paladin. You know, just everybody stand next to me. You'll get a plus whatever. To yeah. Shit. Oh, speaking of paladins, choir bard. Dave, write that down. Choir bard. I yeah. like it. Speaking of paladins, much like your paladin brethren, you get a divine strike at level eight. The divine strike uh, gives you the ability to infuse your attacks with divine energy. Um, whenever, uh, sorry, once on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you cause that attack to deal an extra 1d8 damage of the same type of the weapon to the target. So it's not adding radiant damage like a smite would. It's just you're just another, cutting deeper. You're just you cutting have, a little deeper. Yeah. You got your gods didn't mind you just pushing the head of that axe a little bit deeper. And it's once on your turn with no limit other than that. So every single uh, turn spe- when you hit. But specifically on your turn, not on someone else's turn. It will not work with a reaction then. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, at 14th level, the extra damage increases to 2d8. That's useful. They're yeah. good, man. The way at, you can at, do things. At 14th though... I mean, actually, that's pretty powerful because clerics aren't getting a whole lot. That 2d8 is going to make a difference. You don't have extra attack. Right. Well, right. I mean, you technically do with your other shit. Right? Uh, yeah, but you only get it four or five times a day rather than every single round. But if you are using your melee attacks as a cleric at level 14, you're probably doing it wrong. You well, are a what, full spell caster. What you, or what you're doing is you're using your bonus action to, you know... Healing Con- word. Healing word. Controlling your spiritual weapon. Doing what you need to do yeah. with those things. And then you're just your action is just smash and face. Uh, hot take. The cleric's bonus action is more important than the rogue's. I agree. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, finally, at 17th level, you become a, uh, what's this saying? A uh, first level barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at 17th level, you gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magic weapons. Yeah. So what a barbarian at level one could do for raging. So stop at level, uh, what is it saying here? 14, take a level in Barbarian, and you're better. I I, I don't like the except, Avatar except Except that you can't cast spells while raging. Uh, that's, yes, yes. But that's okay when you're a war cleric. I mean, for the most part, the idea that you would be raging uh, thematically fits. I don't think it's as beautifully... Um, it, I don't think it matches quite as nicely as you wanted. I, I I get what you're saying, but at the same time, what at 17th level is hitting you with a non-magical slashing, bludgeoning, or piercing attack? Actually, a lot. I would I would hazard to say that a lot is. You're going to anything that's carrying a weapon probably is going to have a plus one or something to it. Yeah, right? but you're still going up against a lot of beasts and shit. You're still going to have like volleys of arrows coming down at you, and they're not all going to be flame arrows. Okay, yeah, right? that's fair. So that you, when you are that level, there are very few things that are going to attack you unless they're one-on-one attack you out of the monster manual, right? So your DM is going to start giving groups of enemies. And so when you're dealing with a group of level six, you've got three or four of those things coming at you. Those things don't have that. So the majority of your, unless you're going boss fight to boss fight to boss fight, the majority of what you're dealing with, even traps still, mm-hmm. they're doing a base level of damage. Or a base kind of damage. Um, DMs need to keep that in mind when they're doing tier 4 fights too. Right? Yeah. The idea that you're not simply just hitting everybody with force damage and psychic damage. Just 
just to fuck with their hit points a little bit more. So, um, I, I don't know. Do you like it, Dan? I love it. Um, it is one of my favorite domains. The 17th level thing, I, you, you've sold me, is a little bit better. It's not quite as limiting as, say, going into a rage would be. Um, my only my only comment is if you go pick up that, that level in Barbarian, you're going to get six levels of Barbarian by the end of it. If you go multi-class that way, then you're going to get the six-level ability, mm-hmm. which is not bad. Right? No, not so. bad at all. But also, you get that at 17th level, which is also when you can just straight up destroy undead, less than a uh, challenge rating of four, and you get ninth level spells. Yeah, so... So, yeah, uh, you get ninth level spells. Uh, you get ninth level spells. You get a ninth level spell. I, I loved playing a War Cleric because I found it to be very versatile as well. You can stand and bang and do all those like extra attacks and all that sort of stuff if you want, but you're a full spellcaster, but you have the versatility. You could just you could just pop your Spirit Guardians up, cause constant damage, and get all of that extra shit as well when yeah. you're hitting stuff. You can cause a lot of damage. And I don't usually think that way, but it was fun to think that way. <coughs> Yeah, I got to agree. The War Cleric is, in my opinion, probably my third favorite. I could see that, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there are 12, right? So that's that's high on the list. Yeah. Um, and of course, I really... Uh, Life Cleric to me is... I think I said in, the, in that episode that they were boring as fuck. But the more I think about it, the more that I've seen them played, the more I'm coming around on the Life Cleric. They actual healer and you start to think about different ways to do it and you yeah. know if you i don't like the basic stereotypical bullshit dwarf cleric yeah heals yeah that's his job yeah walks up in a robe and uh, i don't want rob stark's wife on the battlefield right like that's <laughs> that's bullshit i'm not i've seen it i don't i don't need it again uh greed who's next me uh we're gonna rock paper scissors all right so rock paper scissors then terry me and you here we go one two three go all right, you're going first. I did scissors every time. I know. Uh, so the death domain is concerned with the forces that cause death, as well as the negative energy that gives rise to undead creatures, deities such as, oh, here we go, Chimosh. Good luck with this, Terry. <laughs> I know that, that these are bullshit fantasy words. Oh, God. Do you know what? And the internet just screams at me, and sometimes I get DMs where people get mad at the way I say things, and I say I don't give a fuck. When I read them. It, yeah, they're made up words. Unless you're Dan, yeah. <laughs> you can say it however you want. People Thanks, guys. If you're so Dan, bad. then Adam's going to yell at you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, miracle? Miracle. Miracle. Uh, we Jazz. We What's Jazz. Must jazz must be the smaller one of the Jazz family. <laughs> <laughs> Patrons of necromancers, death knights, liches, mummy lords, and vampires, gods of the death domain, also embody murder. <laughs> Uh, Anubis Ball Paribus Oh fuck this Look, it, like it, it severely concerns me When Terry is laughing Through the word murder Hey you know what Ain't, ain't nothing wrong With a little murder Right Captain War Cleric yeah. Groups of people All over the world Gather together Every week To pretend to kill Things together And then they go home As though it wasn't weird Why 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 do you have to Shatter this glass. Hey, man, I'm just not letting you uh, live your life thinking this isn't something that it is, okay? <laughs> All right, let's talk about their spells. So first level, you get False Life, Ray of Sickness. Third level, Blindness, Deafness, Ray of Enfeeblement. Blindness, Deafness, I'm coming around to because I used to feel like it just wasn't working the way I wanted it to. I think I'm just going to get a little bit more tactical with it. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad that it's in there because it is useful. Well, you got to keep in mind, too, that this is out of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Right. This one is not technically four players. Right. So this is one of the two, two, three. How many 
classes are in the Dungeon Master's Guide. How many subclasses? Two. Three. Three. Anyway, so... I don't know. It, there's, I read there, two. There's less than a handful of them, is the point. And the idea here is that you are going to build your arch-villain with this. Oh. So the fact that you are... It's not blindness or deafness that the player is going to be casting so much, as the villain will be crippling the players. Right. Right? So this is something that I think is is a little bit more... Like, look, I ran an evil campaign with a death cleric in it. Loads of fun. But I think the intention is to yeah. use this shit against players. I would, I and I agree with you 100%. I'm excited to to play a death domain cleric, though, especially because at 5th level you get animate dead. Now you're talking my language. And vampiric touch, as we heard pronounced once, is vampiric tush. I don't know if you guys remember that. I do. <laughs> Vampiric Tush uh, at 5th level. At 7th level, you get Blight and Death Ward. Man, I just love these spells. These are some of my favorite spells. Blight? You can't go wrong. I wish I could cast Blight in real life. Okay, now, Um, Terry, time for an intervention again? Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You're you're going to the dark place. Do you remember, this was about a year and a half ago on the podcast now, (laughs) that you, you drove up the hill towards Dan's house and you said... I'm looking around at all of these big houses thinking, it would be great. You could really keep people captive in a basement up here. Well, about a year and a half ago, I was going through a real dark time in my life. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're over it, pal. <laughs> but that, I forgot that I said that, but that is that is correct still. Ninth level, we're talking Andy Life Shell and Cloud Kill. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I yeah. Cloud Kill is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> just to play... Cloud yeah. Kill is phenomenal. It's a lot of fun. Okay, uh, bonus proficiency. So when the cleric chooses this domain at first level, he or she gains proficiency with martial weapons. That's important because I like to hit things with big hammers. Reaper. At first level, the cleric learns one necromancy cantrip of his or her choice from any spell list. When the cleric casts a necromancy cantrip that normally targets only one creature, the spell instead targets two creatures within range and within five feet of each other. Okay. Sad part about this is there isn't too many necromancy cantrips. Nope. The not sad part is the ones that there is are pretty good. So, you're talking Toll the Toll the Dead. Toll the Dead. Yeah. Is Spare the Dying uh, a cantrip? Yes. Yeah, but is it necromancy? I don't know if it's yes. Necromancy. It is Chill Touch. Yes. Uh Chill Touch might be evocation. Mm. Is is and is that a cantrip? I think it is. It is. It is it's a cantrip. Yeah, it's very good. I think it's a cantrip, and I think it's necromancy. One second while we flip through pages in our books, because we are reading and we don't know everything. If I remember rightly, it is. Chill touch, necromancy cantrip. Yeah. Not acting like I always knew that I did my research before we did the episode, Dan. Then why the fuck did you ask? I don't know. You just like flicking through books and stuff, don't you? I just let you do I just it. like flicking things, yeah. If I told you that books, it, beans, if I told you that it was, if I said, trust me, Dan, it is, you would still check. No, I would trust you. Really? Yeah. That doesn't come up a lot in my life. People check things. God damn, Terry, that's, that's dark. <laughs> so not only are we having an intervention, we're having a like a self-esteem boosting. I'm a beer, Terry. I'm you a are beer fantastic. I'm a beer and a half into this Mexican beer. Phenomenal beer, Mexico. Well done. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Let's talk channel divinity. So starting at second level, we're doing touch of death. The cleric can use channel divinity to destroy another creature's life force by touch. When the cleric hits a creature with a melee attack, the cleric can use channel divinity to deal extra necrotic damage to the target. The damage equals 5 plus twice his or her cleric level. This is going to stack very well. So second level, obviously it's not going to be too powerful, but it's lower hit points. It's still pretty good to have. But as you go up in levels, because it's double your level that you add into the 5, it's going to stack pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's going to get out of control. By the way, sorry, I just looked it up. 
We named three of the four um, necromancy cantrips. The fourth one is called Sapping Sting, and it's from Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Oh, okay. So, which yeah. is which is oh, why this is why we didn't get it because I'm like I'm sorry that is not a cantrip I have never heard of that sapping stick. So so because most people probably won't know about it, uh, you sap the vitality one action thirty feet of vocal and somatic instantaneous. You sap the vitality of one creature you can see in range. The target must succeed on a con save or take one d four necrotic damage and fall prone. I was going to say it's pretty shit up until that point. The spell's that... damage increases by one d four when you reach fifth level two d four. Uh, so you get two it, four. It, it grows 11. like all cantrips do. Yeah. yeah so eleventh and seventeenth. I well. mean, if you can, if you can swarm that target with your party, you can get them prone. You're laughing on you. So. Yeah, because everything's a crit. Then right? is there yeah. a save there? A con, um, save. con save. A con save or fall prone. Okay. Your fall- spellcasters are gonna fucking hurt. Yeah. 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 That that that. When the barbarian runs up to the fucking mage, you... I'm taking that over tilt touch every single day. Really? Mm. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, I mean, Chill Touch gives you disadvantage. And 1d8. And they can't regain hit points until the start of your next turn. Yeah. Oh, yeah that point. can be tactical. That can be tactical. And 1d8, 2d8, 3d8, 4d8 is a whole lot more than 44. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. I can see the argument the, either uh, way. Plus, Chill Touch, four times the range. Ah, uh, that's true, too. So. You've made your point. I like Sapping Sting. I think it's flavorful and interesting. Mm. Um, I, I, I love the idea of just, like... A high level fighter character getting hit with this cantrip from a, like across the field and this just eating shit. Yeah, it's just like ow. Well, well like I, I, in in, in my head, it it's like a plague doctor syringe magically appears behind their knee, pokes them, and down they go. Oh. Right. I, I love sometimes cantrips because we you know we get higher level spells. We start looking at higher level spells, but sometimes you can do things that are so tactically genius with just cantrips, and it's a thankless job. Because nobody's going to say thank you for knocking that big bad prone. The barbarian's going to be like, do you remember when I did 86 damage and he was laid in front of me? Well, that is one of the reasons why Eldritch Blast gets a lot of hate. Because what is Eldritch Blast? Damage. Yeah. It is just damage. Now, if you have your invocations that build into it, you could do fun stuff with it. But it's just damage. Right? And it's, it's boring. You can't get creative with it unless you're a fucking warlock. Yeah. That's right. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> Starting at 6th level, the cleric's ability to channel negative energy becomes more potent. It's my life. Necrotic damage dealt by the character's cleric spells and channel divinity options ignores resistance to necrotic damage. Okay. Uh, get fucked, Azemars. Yeah. I mean, if you're immune to necrotic damage, cool. You're still good. But uh, if you're if you're resistant to it, I Fuck it. I, I would do a thing where if you're immune to necrotic damage, you now are resistant to this. i bump it all back one step. Oh, okay. Would you? Yeah. Why? If it bumps back resistance, why wouldn't it bump back immunity? If you're immune to something, though, it usually means you're, like, made of that, though. Yeah, but you can be hurt with radiant damage, and that's usually what's healing you. Mm, okay. mm, no, that's flawed logic. Radiant damage is, is a sunburst. It, like, from the ground, it's like a, a flare. It's like a radiation burn. Yeah, that's how I see radiant damage. I do see, like, radiation. Radiation doesn't, well, not, it doesn't heal you unless you've got a tumor. There should be a spell called Tumor. There is. Is there? I'm pretty sure there is. There's not a spell called Tumor. I know in other editions you can have a Tumor familiar. No way. Yeah. But That's radi- called a Docent and you're a Warforge. Radiant damage should be uh, in place of Cure Disease then. If you've got a Tumor. Just blast him with Guiding Bolt. I think... 
Jesus Christ. So <laughs> God damn. You killed him, but you may notice the tumor is gone. God damn, Terry. Are you checking this or should I move on? I'm yeah, move on. on. I'm going to check it while you while you Divine talk. Strike. Eighth level, the cleric gains the ability to infuse his or her weapon strikes with necrotic damage. Once on each of the cleric's turns, when he or she hits a creature with a weapon attack, the cleric can cause the attack to deal an additional 1d8 necrotic damage to the target. When the cleric reaches 14th level, the extra damage increases to 2d8. Sure. That's cool. exactly what I got at 8th level. But yours was not necrotic damage, though, right? It's no, my, mine was just additional weapon damage. Sure. Um, at 17th level, you get improved Reaper. When the cleric casts a necromancy spell of 1st through 5th level, the target's only one creature. The spell can instead target two creatures within range and within five feet of each other. If the spell consumes its material components, the cleric must provide them for each target. That's good, as long as you've got the components. So now, up to a 5th level spell, you can double the targets. I... That... Wow. Uh, that's insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Inflict wounds on two targets yeah. at fifth level. Mm-hmm. They have to be within five feet of each other, but I mean, but the, the five feet of each other just means that it's, you can't go blasting it all the time. You have to be tactical with it, put yourself in the right position or take advantage of an opportunity. Uh, but it's really, really strong. And this I think works it's with cantrips, man. Like, yeah. Like you're standing across the hall from two goblins, blah, blah, hit them both with spare the dying. Why the yeah. fuck not? Sure. Well, why did you hit them with Spare the Dying? Sorry. Hit them both with uh, the uh, 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 fucking God the Dead. God the Dead. There it is. <laughs> that is that is this that, that is this subclass. Yes. God dead? the Dead. No, no. no you say dead. Toll the Dead. That's toll the Dead. Like, That's yeah. the word. Toll God the Dead. God the Dead. The thing that came in my mind was cookies. One, because I'm a fat kid. And two, Toll, Toll Bridge. Or Toll House cookies. I'm not getting these links. God the Dead cookies. Toll Bridge. I don't understand. Uh, Toll House cookies are a type of cookie. I've never heard of this before. Dan? Gotta brush up on my cookies. No, you really don't. (laughs) This is one of those Dan links where every once in a while he just... When when my wife and I were dating, because you don't get them up here in Canada, she would always send me uh, Keebler cookies. Like Keebler Elf cookies. Because I fucking love Keebler Elf cookies. By the way, internet. I, Dan, love... Keebler Elf Cookies. And if you want to send me Keebler Elf Cookies from wherever you're at, I'll eat them. Right. They don't send us anything. They send us a lot. Yeah, I. we just don't tell you, Terry. <laughs> we, keep, we keep all the shit for ourselves. I've got like a thing full of dice boxes and shit. Well, you guys cool. need to stop sending Dan, okay, you know who I'm talking to, stop sending that thing, or at least start sending AA batteries, because it's getting awkward at this point. <laughs> I'm burning them out, so I'm, th- I'm grateful. Send <sighs> me some stuff. Send, send Terry things that require AA batteries as well. Anyways, continue. Like a TV remote because my dog keeps uh, It's Terry. D-cells. D-cells. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> if it doesn't sound like a diesel motor, he's not going to be happy. <laughs> it ain't going in. <laughs> Terry, Terry's unhappy unless you've hooked up a car battery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Adam, it's you. It's it Unless we have any final thoughts on the death domain claim, which I, was I, look, which I was looking forward to all week delivering this, and it got overrun with innuendos about sex toys. No, man, the death domain is lots of fun. I I don't see you having to be evil to play it. Um, No, not necessarily, although Just, I can very likely see you being an evil character in a good campaign. Yeah. Right? You are just part of the... You still get all of your crazy Healy shit. You're still turning undead. You're still doing a bunch of the regular cleric stuff. Your spell list is the same. So you just also are this. I like the idea of you 
mastering healing so much that you see two sides of the idea of life versus death. I'm yeah. going as a proud Slytherin. I'm going full like Death Eater with this with this character. I think I would enjoy the the cultist type character. You would want to play the cultist type character. Yeah. So when you get beaten by a fourteen year old with a stick, how are you going to feel? What do you mean? I mean Harry Potter, fourteen year old with a stick. Yeah, look, there's a lot of things about Harry Potter. I don't understand why they didn't just use it's a fucking Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, North America. Never miss an opportunity. It's actually, only in North America would you be so obsessed with a with a fan fiction type thing and then absolutely hate the author at the same time. Uh, but uh, yes, well, uh, I don't. We're I looking at you, Star Wars. I never, <laughs> I never understood in Harry Potter why they didn't just use a fucking tank or a fighter jet or something and just absolutely level those Death Eaters. I, 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 I'm sorry. I love Dune. L. Ron Hubbard could suck the farts up my ass. I don't <laughs> care about him at all. Was that L. Ron Hubbard? I thought yes. it was Frank Herbert. Oh, it was Frank Herbert. Fuck, never mind. L. Ron Hubbard was uh, was uh, Battlefield Earth. No, That's right. that was R. L. Stein. Adam, no, it wasn't. Oh my god, it's that comic sorry. gave me goosebumps. Oh, you hey, didn't, you didn't see that? My eye just twitched. Weird. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. So All right. So, grave domain cleric. This is going to split the difference between your life domain and your death domain cleric. The grave domain is a lot of fun because it is not your um, running around with your army of skeletons, which is what you were just talking about. You can animate dead and shit oh, yours. Oh, yes, please. This one is more about the guardian uh, that stands between life and death. The basic idea behind a grave domain cleric is we are living, but we're really just renting existence and all things return to dust in the end. It's not quite nihilistic. It just sees the grand view of things. It's way way up seeing the big picture and we're just here for a short period of time and our gods are going to allow us to either stay or leave depending on what they want and uh and you have a little bit of divine um favor with them to be able to do some special things i want you to think of things um like the undying court from eberron if you guys listen to the eberron series um hades anubis and osiris none of these are evil gods they're just gods of the death domain. So um, that's exactly who you would pray to. Someone like that. Now, I was talking before about the the um, goddess of death in mine, um, where she's just sad and she just is tired of, of this ongoing level of existence. Grave domain clerics would really identify with that shit. Right. Um, their magic also allows them to stave off death, um, particularly... For a person who still has some great work to accomplish in the world, this is a delay of death, not a denial of it, because death will eventually get its due. This is where grave domain comes from. So it's close, but very different from the mm-hmm. death domain. So you get a number of different spells. Um, at first level, you get Bane and False Life. False Life is underused. I agree. Uh, yeah, after... Um... I've never used it before, but obviously I read up on it for the Clerics episode, and I think it, it is underused, yeah. I really like the idea, and as a dungeon master, I would be I would be encouraging things where you have to sneak in behind enemy lines as a dead body. Um, or, everybody lay down dead in this tomb while the skeleton army walks by us. Yeah. Uh, at third level, you get Gentle Repose, Ray of Enfeeblement. At fifth, you get Revivify, because of fucking of course you do, <laughs> and Vampiric Touch. 
At 7th level, you get Blight and Death Ward, which was the same for the um, Death Domain. Love me some Blight. And then at ninth level, you get Anti-Life Shield and also Raise Dead. Raise Dead is the one where you have 10 days to bring someone back with one hit point. They need to be able to live. If you're missing internal organs or things that, that like you do not regenerate their body. They need to be complete. This yeah, is the yeah. one that requires a 500 gold diamond that it doesn't consume, right? Um, Yes. Oh, no, this spell does consume it. Oh, it does consume the diamond. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you get a bunch of different shit, including Circle of Mortality at first level. You gain the ability to manipulate the line between life and death, which means that when you would normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points with the spell um, to a creature at zero hit points, you instead use the highest number possible for each die. So when someone is unconscious and you heal them, they get maximum dice rolled oh. to come back. So if that that's relatively useful at low levels, but at high levels, when you're using uh, your big well, heal is a standard seventy. Seventy, yeah, right? yeah I guess that's so. True, yeah. Um, but you're like mass cure, cure wounds, wounds and yeah. shit. They're going to get all of that banged up on their feet, ready to go again. In addition, you also learn the spare the dying cantrip, which doesn't count against your regular cleric cantrips. The thing that's useful here is that spare the dying is usually touch. This is thirty feet. Ooh. That's most places on the battlefield, then, right? You know, yeah. you're, you're within thirty feet of most of your allies. And I mean, honestly, even if you have to move thirty feet, which is your standard movement for most um, races, you are going to be just fine getting there. That's sixty feet. Yeah, right. And so. as the cleric, me playing a cleric, I know I was a war domain cleric, but I was typically in the middle somewhere. I knew that that was probably the better place for me to be. It's not like I, you know, the rogue. You're kind of. I run around the outside a bit. I used your cleric like an anchor, and I made sure that he was always within twenty uh, feet of my rogue. And I would be running circles around you every single battle yeah. as a rogue. But I always made sure I was within twenty to thirty feet of your cleric, just so if I needed that healing hands, I got it. Just in case Terry had a huge shift in alignment and decided to heal you. You yeah. you healed me once with that character. Just once though, and that was one of the three times you healed someone in that campaign. I healed people. Th- I healed people three times. Yes, but they were all near death every time. You were just making it so that the player didn't have to go home and write a new character sheet. <laughs> well, that's very um, kind of me. <laughs> also, at first level, you get Eyes of the Grave, which means you gain the ability to occasionally sense the presence of the undead, whose existence is an insult to the natural cycle of life. So the idea is that it takes an action, and then any undead within 60 feet you can sense. You don't get to know what they are or any of their stats, um, and they can't be behind total cover or protected by divination magic. You can use this up to um, a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, so four or five times per long rest. So that's moderately useful, especially in low-level campaigns, um, or when you are hunting down a demi-lich, right? Like... That's it's going to be helpful when you're doing dungeon dives into into Playing tombs. Curse of Strahd, it'd be useful. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Stuff, so yeah. Um, at second level, your channel divinity. I mean, you already have turn undead, but you also get path to the grave, uh, which, as an action, you choose one creature you can see within thirty feet of you, cursing it until the end of your next turn. The next time you or an ally of yours hits the cursed creature with an attack, any attack, not melee, doesn't have to be physical attack, any attack, the creature has vulnerability to all of the attack's damage, and then the curse ends. Hmm. I like that. So, yeah. And at second level, you can make one person super attack. If you are ahead of the paladin in initiative, 
and they're going to whip out four or five different smites, right, to go. Like, it's, it has to be the next attack, but if they're stacking that up. Oh, shit. If you have vulnerability to a fucking smite. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Oh, my God. Right? Like, it, that shit can get out of control so, so quickly. Mm. I wouldn't be using this with a monk. Because a monk is death by many little cuts, right? This is the barbarian super hit, right? Yeah. Um, or if you've got someone else that's going to cast disintegration. Yeah, well, yeah. is that is that for all damage or is that The for... next time you or an ally of yours hits the cursed creature with an attack. Hard stop. Yeah. It's anything. Isn't it? So that's a spell attack, that's a weapon attack, that's an attack, yeah. Gosh. Yep. At 6th level... You get Sentinel at Death's Door. You gain the ability to impede Death's progress, which means as a reaction, when you hit a creature, uh, or sorry, as a reaction, when you or a creature you can see within 30 feet of you suffers a critical hit, you could turn it into a normal hit. Any effects triggered by a critical are cancelled. Again, you can use this a number of times up to your Wisdom modifier, and you regain them at a long rest. So, you can just say, no, that's not a crit. Mm Mm-hmm. That can be incredibly powerful, especially with a lot of the stuff that's coming out in these later books, like Mordenkainen's and um, Eberron. They've all got weird fucking powers that are starting to come out now. The Monster Manual, this is going to be really useless, because not a lot of things have powers that trigger on a crit. Right. There are some, but there's not a lot. Yeah. In the later books, you're going to run into this far more often. So, if you're going to do any campaign module, I would say, oh, after Tomb of Annihilation... Anything that's been released since then, this is going to be more useful for you. Uh, at 8th level, you get potent spellcasting, which means you get to add your wisdom modifier to the damage you deal with any cleric cantrip. Extra damage, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. Sure. so, I mean, that doesn't hurt. And at 8th level, you've already got that first bump mm-hmm. that comes with the um, cantrip damage, so, sure. And then at 17th level, so there's that big jump, 8th to 17th. Yeah. Starting at 17th level, you can seize a trace of vitality from a parting soul and use it to heal the living. When an enemy you can see dies within 60 feet of you, you or one creature of your choice that is within 60 feet of you regains hit points equal to the enemy's number of hit dice. I'm going to ask a quick question here. Yep. As a DM, would you rule that it needs to be an enemy? Say if a PC died, would you let that ability take effect where the cleric can say, has seen an ally has died and so... It's, it's healing, right? would heal an, another character. I think because you're stealing a part of their soul, I would say that I like if an ally dies and I'm going to steal part of that soul, that person can't be resurrected. Yeah. They've been corrupted now. So you can go right ahead and do that, but you're going to uh, fuck someone with I, it. I wouldn't necessarily do that because then if you try to speak with dead with that... Um, with that corpse of the enemy, like that's going to work on both sides. I don't like the idea that they couldn't be resurrected when this is done. Um, Uh, Increase the DC. If there's a DC to resurrect or if there's a chance of failure, increase the difficulty. If you do that, I wouldn't say it just straight up nullifies. Uh, Because you're stealing a part of a soul and the souls are weird in D and D. Yeah. Right. The idea of an afterlife is weird too. When you die, where do you go? I've always wondered that because we know where goblins go. And we know where orcs go, and we know where elves go, but where do humans go? To the Shadowfell. I mean, oh, to be the... sorted to their different areas. The Shadowfell is not necessarily purgatory. But that's where the Raven Queen is, and her whole purview is the transition between life and death. And then she decides whether you go to, like... Yeah, yeah but she'll, Mount, she'll, Mount she'll, Celestia, she'll drop you in Mount Celestia, or the Happy Hunting Grounds, or Elysium, or Purgatory, or, nine hells, or... the Nine Hells. Like, but, but who gets sent to Limbo? Devil. 
Right? Who gets sent the pandemonium? That's just weird to me, right? Yeah, who gets sent to limbo? People who like... Uh, yeah, yeah, halflings. Parties. I get it. But I'm... Sh- fuck you. So... <laughs> so, Keeper... Well, can be winners. Keeper of Souls. Um, of course, <laughs> you can't use the feature if you're incapacitated. And you can only use it once um, uh, on your turn. You can't use it again until the start of your next turn. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but that means you can use it as many times as you want. There is no limit to this. Which means that when someone drops, you can heal someone else. I still say that you are stealing souls. That is such a fucking strong wording. This isn't your you're getting the vitality from their last breath. You're not getting the glimmer of light that, that's dimming in their eyes. You're stealing a part of their soul. Therefore, my ruling would be you can... But your Speak With Dead is going to have one answer, not three. Your Revivify is going to last for a very short period of time. Like, you'll bring them back for a day unless you do something big. you got to stack a wish on top of that, right? But it's it's 17th level, right? Yeah. You're, you're getting that shit anyway, right? So I'm I'm okay with, with saying yes, but be careful with this shit. You are, use it all you want on Goblin Minions. All, and use it on Constructs, but I'm not going to let you do it on... Uh, I, well, does an awakened table have a soul? Yes. Can you do it I to a plant? We go with this, and like, can you do it to a, a, a? If it has hit dice, yes. An awakened table, an awake uh, in uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. There's a bunch of awakened different animals. There's an awakened sperm whale. I'm glad you said whale. <laughs> you made that. I'm joke glad you twice. said sperm. I know. <laughs> It's a can, mouthful. Like, can you do it to an ant? Will that work? Uh, but Does like, the ant have hit dice? And the idea is technically yes, one. So is, so is he is he a tree ant? Then yeah, of course. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so so do but, you need to go to your council of trees and talk for an hour and a half about whether or not you should talk about telling me to go fuck myself or um shut up. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I would get I I yes. I hear what you're saying. If it has hit dice, fine. But an ant does not have hit dice. It has one hit point, in my opinion. Mm. Otherwise, when someone dies in front of you, you're like, "Where's the nearest fucking spider web? I need to bring them back, and I got to do it right now." So, what's within sixty feet of me that I can kill? Yeah, right. To give you one hit point. So there are some things that just straight up have one hit point. In some of the um, modules, and I would say that no, that there's no hit dice there. It is just one hit point. And if you're doing a massive siege type thing, and you're using the minion rule from Fourth Edition, where you have a bunch of things that only have the one hit point, but they're like humans, no, it has uh, to be yeah, something you, big, right? Yeah. Well, I would I would just say that we're using the one hit point in the with the minion rules as a way to get past this siege mechanic. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to look up how many hit dice a veteran has, or a mercenary, or a noble, or a bandit, or whatever it is, right? So, um, a goblin minion with one hit point is going to have the number of hit dice that a goblin has, if you're going to bring it back, right? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really matter anyway, because by the time you're 17th level, the difference between one and six hit points is negligible. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting hit by twenty at a time. So yeah, we're we're splitting hairs at this point. This is yeah, just saving right. you from death saves. That's right. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so this is one of the few times that I find a subclass is going to make it so that no one else around you can die instead of just you yourself doesn't die. We see it a lot where there are um, the barbarian that just gets the fuck back up. Yeah, and shit. Uh, we we don't get a whole lot of that. Um, 
applying to other people. There's a lot of that with the Grave Domain Cleric. Where they say, hey, it's not your time. You are passing across the River Styx, but not fucking yet. Mm. Yeah. I, I really like the Grave Cleric. They have uh, I they have the possibility and the, they lean towards the gloomy shop at Hot Topic level of character. Where it's just like, everything is death and blah. Right, and they're all they're all melancholy, but they also can be these beautiful keepers of death. Right. Um, if I'm gonna play a Shatter Kai, I'm gonna look into this because they serve the Raven Queen. This very much they do not like undead. It is right in the yeah the, I, yeah the I, world, I, right? I I get that I get that I I these are the guys I want to break the mold and have like just bright colors and and this reverence this this. Pure vision of what life is. I don't want to life cleric. I don't want to go to a life cleric to ask about the beauty of life. I want to go to a grave cleric yeah. to ask what the beauty of life is. Right? Just because a life cleric doesn't know, they've never seen the other side because they won't let people get to that edge. A grave cleric knows knows how precious life yeah, is yeah right? so of course i'm going to go to a grave cleric for that i always like the idea of a grave cleric every night they dream of a giant stone door that's just in an archway that's in an infinite realm in all directions there's no wall there's just a door and on the other side of the door is either light or darkness and they can peer through they can walk a few steps and they see whoever just died around them pass through it every night and that is their level of divine intervention. Whether it's they know whether they step into light or darkness. Well, well, if they're standing on the side of of um, light and life, then when they peer through the door, there's nothing but darkness on the other side. And those six goblins that you killed earlier today are slowly marching through that door, and you can follow them through and stand in the doorway. And in front of you is darkness, and you can see their essence disappearing into the darkness. Or you can step through a little bit. And turn around and then see nothing but bright light pouring through from the life side. Okay. Right. 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 So I I think that that's the kind of crazy grave cleric imagery that I'm going to start playing with. Yep. The idea of um, them really being guardians of the passage between worlds. Yep. Uh, if we didn't already have the Moreneloth, which is a Yugoloth that is the literal boatman across the river Styx, yeah, I would Sharon. say... Yeah. I would say that the, the, I would use a grave cleric for that, right? Um, and they just thematically go with the Raven Queen quite a bit. Although I like your idea as well, Dan, of it being a, a, a more vibrant. Uh, yeah, uh, Theros specifically, Sharon and Theros is the leader of several groupings of them, and I would say that every single ferryman that is run through on the river that connects all the realms is a grave cleric. Right? Like, there is realm for this in there somewhere. Yeah, so I think that was pretty fun, but they're distinct from a death cleric, and they really do get lumped together a lot. Yeah, People get them confused. Like, they're like life and light, Yeah, whereas light is fire, not not goodness and hope, right? So, anyway, before we uh, wrap up with our our own unique builds, I just want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You can also reach out to us through our email at info at it's a mimic.com because we love hearing from you guys. And any questions that you send us will get added to the lists for our upcoming mailbag episodes. So now that we've gotten that shameless shit out of the way, <laughs> let us... Nothing I... shameless about that, Adam. It's marketing. We need marketing. Oh, no, I am literally shameless. <laughs> I have no shame about doing that. 
So um, let's uh, let's I guess rock paper scissors. You saying let's roll for it? All right, rock paper scissors. Okay. Okay. Uh, ready? One, two, three. Civilize. Oh, so now oh, we all went rock. Oh okay. no. Okay. okay. okay again. Yeah. One. Okay, so we have a three-way tie. What the fuck? All right, so one more, game? one more. All right, Dan, you're going first. Ah, do you know okay. what? It was the mental game of the third, the difficult third round. Okay, yeah. I know what I'm going to change for this one because I did this the last three times. I don't. The difficult third round. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, so for me, I want a battle dynamo on the field. I want the guy who's going to look at the paladin and scoff at him and be like, "You want to see what it's like being a holy warrior? I'll show you what it's like being a holy warrior." Um, so for my war cleric, I'm building a tabaxi war cleric wielding a polearm of some sort. What kind of tabaxi? A white tiger, a lion? Probably close. Well, we have Leon in now for lions. Oh, Leon, that's yeah. Right. yeah. But I, I specifically want to go tabaxi because of the, the movement ability that they have. Um, and having that level of movement with a high enough strength to be able to wear plate and not have a movement uh, handicap is just brilliant in my mind. And you could pair this with certain um, like cat-themed gods. We mentioned earlier doing a um, a Egyptian campaign. Well, this guy is a is a uh, cleric of Bast, who is the cat and trickery god in Egyptian mythology. Right? Sure. Um, there's there's lots of possibility with this. And having him be a full cleric, bouncing about the field in every way that Tabaxi typically do, but still wearing full plate mail armor, still getting, you know, ninth level spells. And, like, I'm giving him polearm master. I'm giving him great weapon master. I'm giving him... Um, he might dip a level or two in fighter just to get the weapon styling as well, the fighting style. But uh, I, I don't want to ever play a Tabaxi. I want to play this one. Tabaxi yeah. to me are, are boring and min maxi as shit, and this character actually seems. Oh, the irony. <laughs> no, Fuck. I can't believe Terry it. Terry and I just looked at each other like, no, bitch. Says the gnome <laughs> min maxer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this guy. I'm a dragonborn that's a half paladin, half warlock, so I can just fucking nail things with my padlock. Fuck you, Dan. <laughs> Dan that character oh, got turned to stone, and when I got the opportunity to play him again, I didn't. It's because he was boring, because he was min maxed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he had half of his no, face worn off. From... That's called character building. <laughs> that, you build character by sanding someone's face off. Speaking face of which, off. speaking of which, don't you two have to do oh. paper scissors? Okay. Yeah. One, two, three. Yeah, you're oh, going next. I suck balls. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going next. So um, here's here's what I got for you. Hit me. I went. I, I'm not so much concerned about the mechanical aspect of it. Remember when we did the episodes on elves, and the first one we talked about kind of the long view of life, sure, and how they were all a little melancholy because they've been cast out of Coralon's presence, and yeah, yeah. they're not worthy enough, and they've been they've been given this long life to contemplate what it means to be. This feels grave cleric to me. The idea that well, I'm here for now, but I will be returned to. Coralon's grace when I get to it. And so I also like the idea of him being French and being a nihilist. <laughs> a life is shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly that. Because you dress like shit. Yeah. So. Shh, 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 shh. It will be okay. 
you you will be fine. I don't know. Apparently, I'm German, apparently I'm German now. You will be fine. <laughs> yeah. No, but I France, really, French or like Quebecois? Oh, France. I like and and they dress like like in the finest high elf clothing and stuff as well. Everything is beneath them. They're looking down their nose, and it's just it's just uh, c'est la vie. <laughs> right? Like they, it, it's just another day. You are bleeding today. He's okay. I will yeah, say that more. I, yeah, I, I will bring you back. Uh, le petit mort, anyone? No? No? <laughs> the, the, the three French people that listen are like, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, if they're French French, they'll be like, ugh, your accent is terrible. <laughs> no, but uh, honestly, for me, just this snooty French elf. So a French elf. Yeah, check. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> I, I think that's, that's loads of fun, and I'm probably going to dip into bard just cause yeah just cause and like insufferable bard as well with this if you go three levels or more go like college of glamour um eloquence yeah yeah okay cool but he tells people I am eloquent me uh well I'm gonna stick with uh the death domain cleric I like I like the idea of the like the creepy advisor right handed man type thing you're Jafar yeah, I kind of like Jafar. Yeah, your Jafar. Gra- I like, your I like, like Rahadin as well would be a perfect yeah. example. That sort of terrifying guy in the background. With my characters, I typically don't like the like big hero of the people. Like when I played Titus, he was the person that got kicked out because he was shit. You know, when I played uh, when I played Duke, he was the person that hid from the world and hid in tombs. You know, oh. I like the fuck. What was the name of your of your evil dragonborn? Uh, oh, Slythe. Slythe. Dan, you never got to meet Slythe. Slythe was beautiful because he was so cowardly. He agreed with the strongest person in the room every time, no matter what. Yeah. Whenever there was a party vote to do anything, Slythe would just bow down to the nearest person. And he normally was bowing down to um, the Death Domain cleric. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I never, We never got to find, find out Slythe's last name. Slythe's last name was Skinner. His name was Slythe Skinner. <laughs> Uh, I I like that. What what he was a druid, wasn't he? He was a dragon, but he was a green dragonborn druid. Yeah, green dragon. But yeah, he, green that that fit. He was yeah. just like he was groveling all of the time, and when your back was turned, he would steal shit from you. Yeah. Like he was just he was star scream. Star, yeah, he was star. Oh, fantastic! I to serve you, my yeah. favorite character. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was awesome. it was a lot of fun. So I can see you playing that That's character. What, what was the name of your war cleric? Uh, Asriel. It wasn't like it was Asriel, Asriel, right? Asriel the yeah. forgiving. Yeah, he wasn't that forgiving. He wasn't that. For- well, his line was always "I forgive you," but the yes, God yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it was infuriating for the paladin and the um, and the wizard in the party because every time that they fucked up, you were forgiving them for it. Yeah. Every time that they just made a different decision that didn't work out well, you would forgive them for it. <laughs> and then, then you did it to my rogue, and I was just like, God, thanks, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go get high and sleep with some hookers now. I hope you don't mind. Dwarven, <laughs> dwarven hookers, specifically. Yeah. 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 That, anyway, that creepy kind of right-hand man, Death Eater type character, that's what I like. That's what I want. My You're going to play Lucius Malfoy. Uh, yes, but no. not, as pre- not as prestigious and elegant. No, no Barty Crouch Luce, Jr. Luce is at the end, maybe towards the end. But yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. What about Barty Crouch Jr. Played by David Tennant, if you remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like David Tennant. He's good. Mad Eye Moody, like he was Mad Eye Moody. Sure. Yeah. Sorry to break that spoiler. That plot. Jesus, point. Dan, you're just ruining the Harry Potter series <laughs> for everyone. So you not ruin Harry Potter, please. That's it. So, do we have any final thoughts about clerics before we wrap this episode up, guys? Look, clerics are fun. 
It's true. That's it. I, no, I, I desperately want to play a cleric. It has been years since I've played a cleric. And just because the domains might seem inherently bent towards one style of play doesn't mean you have to play it that way. Yeah. Playing your grave cleric as we see on, say, Critical Role with the bright flowers and the tea and the... Oh, is that, that where you got that from? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a great way of doing it, but also doing it where you've got this highly eloquent, uh, promiscuous elf. As a grave cleric, that's, that's beautiful, right? You can go across the entire gamut with these domains. And uh, this is a message to DMs. Just because a domain isn't necessarily listed underneath what deity they want to worship doesn't mean that they can't be a different domain, right? Uh, if you worship, I don't know, say, Siric, uh, the god of lies or chaotic evil. I just got the list in front of me. If you, if you worship Siric, one, you're a bad person. But two, you can be a war cleric. You can be a deaf, uh, sorry, a death cleric. A death cleric. You, you can be can't... a deaf cleric. What? Uh, you oh no everything is a somatic component for you. <laughs> oh god but like well. you can legit just just because a uh, god sorry, is I'm only sorry. about uh, trickery doesn't mean deaf, you can't is the deaf demographic the only thing we can rip on because we're an audio medium is that like ripping on on the Mennonites because we know they're not going to listen? As to someone anyone? who's active in the death in the deaf community, <laughs> I would t- prefer not. No, as okay. somebody who's active in the deaf community, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so no, you're right. You can go counter. You don't have to to follow the yeah and DM be more, be more welcoming with that kind of idea. Like if you're worshiping Garl Glittergold and you are a deaf domain cleric, go for it, man. Like just justify why Garl Glittergold has a deaf domain cleric. Yeah, if you no. yeah, you should be able to come up with it. Unfortunately, there's not a whole fucking lot about Garl Glitter Gold and any of the fifth ed shit. That's true. Right? So you are kind of handcuffed by that. So Terry, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean just don't be railroaded by this stuff. Just because you can heal people doesn't mean that you need to. And I'll leave it there. Okay. Play your cleric as you want. I have one final question to wrap this up for you guys. Sure. We talked about making your own pantheon at the beginning. Yeah. We each have had our own different domain. Can you really quickly, at the top of your head, make a god for this domain? For my domain, make a god. Um, oh, I would have mine. Um, I would have mine very childlike. Maybe like a, a child would be like the the god of death or goddess of death. Yeah. yeah. Why? Um, because it's going to mess with. Because it's something so tragic and that everybody thinks should happen at the end of life, but is being hit by the beginning of life and it's something that people feel like they need to challenge but people have problems challenging children look and honestly in the middle ages you were more likely to die young than you were old ah well there you go so we do play medieval fantasy so that would be a major factor there as well yeah more death i mean that's dark as fuck but also the idea of children's laughter every time that you cast a spell is that would be terrifying or every time somebody dies yeah um, my, I would love to see a war god that is a series of challenges. Um, this would be a guy who is like giving out achievement lists almost just, I mean, flavored properly. Uh, but every single time you achieve a great deed in combat or in whatnot, probably, uh, the, uh, he would be a god that is highly represented in, um, gladiatorial arenas and, uh, yeah. barbarian tribes and stuff like that. Um, and I, 
I don't know why you're, I'm stuck on You're going to find it. banners for him in barracks for soldiers. And it's always a rhinoceros. I don't know why I'm stuck on the idea of a rhinoceros, but when I think of a war uh, a war deity and its animalistic icon, I think rhino. Uh, and that I would have the character probably ride a rhino into combat. Like, that sounds... I'm all over it. The rhino I, cavalry? Yeah. That sounds really, really badass Fuck, to that's me. That's good. That's really good. Like a, a rhino like barbarian a rhino tribe, cavalry. and you are the spiritual leader of your tribe? So good. So I like good. that. Um, when it comes to the grave domain for me, I would like to make the... I can say goddess just so it's different because um, we don't we don't really respect the two genders. Women. Yeah. Right? Is it, yeah, or women, Terry. <laughs> but, well, we learned another truth about Terry. I thought that's where he was going. I was going to correct him. So, anyway, anyway, I think that <laughs> I would like to make the goddess of doors. And <laughs> doors with a D, Dan. <laughs> Something you can choke on. A D. So After the not respecting women comment, which was obviously a joke, calm down, I'll kick you. <laughs> women. <laughs> anyway, no. The goddess of doors, who, um, her domain, her actual realm, is simply just a small circular room with how many different... Um, there are 16 realms on the Great Wheel. Yep. So you come in through a single door in the middle, and then she passes judgment and lets you move on to one. Or you can sit here for a moment and wait to be revived. And any time that someone dies and then gets revivified or brought back to life or whatever it is, all they can remember is being in this room with 16 doors on the outside and one door in the middle with a woman cloaked in shadow. Wearing an orange apron. Oh, Why? Well, it's doors, so I like the yeah, I, I like what you're saying, but I you're just a dick and a half, <laughs> and not not like in length or girth, but in smell. So I, I like what you're saying, but I think I would make it very mundane, almost like the Oracle from the Matrix. Yeah, like you come in. So, but everybody who's died close to you on that realm would all go there. But you know, maybe one gets revivified, and so they get to go back, and then you might try and go back, but you haven't been revivified, and she'd be like, "Oh no, honey, not you." Oh, you can open you that. Have to go through that. You door. can ap- open that door, but it just leaves the pantry <laughs> for you, for someone else. And oh, and that's the thing about your cleric is they're always looking, they're always opening doors, trying There's to legit find a character in Matrix that does that, the Keymaster. Nobody gives a fuck about the Matrix sequels, Dan. Then why are we talking about the Oracle? Because Terry brought up the Oracle. Yeah. Because but... he said something that would be relatively mundane. And frankly, the only Keymaster that I acknowledge is looking for a gatekeeper. Zool. Exactly. Zool. So that's it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Dan, if you'd like to support us, you could head over to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button there or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube as well as most podcast apps. And don't forget to come back next week when we're returning to the conversation about Beholders. Fantastic. Ooh. Including... Zombie, Beholder, and Death Tyrant. So we're still on the same theme. Happy October. It's Halloween. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, so you guys know when you're running a module or you're doing some sort of campaign that's not based around the gods. It's not some sort of... Asmodeus is breaking things or Cord is on the warpath or whatever. And you don't really have a plan. Like the gods are there, but they're not a factor. 
And then you get a cleric or a paladin or uh, someone just sits down and says, this is my god. And they kind of build a character around them. How much of that do you inject into your story as a general rule? Like, kind of by the broad by the broad strokes here, how much of that god, as a DM, are you investing into this character who may not make it to the end, who is one of the handful of people at the table and is really a side quest. It's a subplot. How much time and effort do you put into it? Let's roll dice. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Got a 19. 19. Oh, we're rerolling, Terry. Well, okay. I got a 7. I got a natural 1. 14. All right, Terry, you're up first. Uh, I think uh, I don't think I'm putting that much into it right now, but I think I would like to put more into it. Considering the gods are always there and ever-present and have their own agenda, I feel like it should be injected into the game much more. But I think as you go through the levels much more, because level one, you're insignificant to the gods. By level 17, they're starting to pay attention a lot more. Yeah. So end of tier three, tier four, I think the, the, there should be divine intervention somewhere along the way because you are you are much more significant to them now. So when you see someone show up with a cleric or a warlock with a patron, right. you know that you're handcuffed a little bit as a DM to have to address this at some point. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you are... <sighs> It can, it's one of those, it's like glass half full, half empty. Well, thing, everybody right? has their own personal like perspective on yes, it, right? I, so you, Terry, do you feel handcuffed by it or is that an opportunity? I feel handcuffed or? by it. I, I see it as direction for inspiration. Okay. And it's still up to me how much I want to put it in. But I think it's it's more fun for that player if you can just sprinkle it in here and there. Even if it's just a moment where they can have their little role play and the cleric can go, See? From my God. And everyone goes, No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I kind of view it uh, as a chef would in a way. That's going to sound really pretentious, but I don't know a better uh, metaphor here. Don't know how to not be pretentious, Dan? I don't know how to put a be- this to a better metaphor. When you're building a campaign, it's like you're building a cake. You're putting in the basic ingredients, and you know the same things are got to be in there in every single one. You're going to need your flour, you're going to need your egg, you're going to need your sugar, all that other stuff. You're going to have to do it. But depending to- on what your players require, what... what uh, your players are bringing to the table for desires and wants are different little spices you're going to throw in that cake, and that's going to change what the campaign tastes like. So <laughs> you're really going balls deep in this. No, no. So, so here's here's my whole perspective. You talk about flavor. If flavor, if somebody is coming into a campaign and they've got a cleric or a warlock or they've got a particularly religious fighter, yeah, man, tell me in your backstory that's what you want, and I will focus more on it. If uh, there is no explicit like, hey, I really want to play with the gods on this character, then I will throw little hints down, little like little teasers. And if they bite and decide to pull on that, then I know that's what that player wants to invest his time in without actually directly having the conversation. Mm. So um, as we're building the campaign, we're building the um, we're building the world together. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. But how much do you put into it? How much? Yeah. Uh, right right off the... Uh, like I said, I'll put in little teasers and stuff unless they explicitly tell me that they want to make it a character focus. So you're okay with switching focus to the gods if it seems like the players are biting on that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you said earlier, the players are insignificant at level one. Yeah. If, if this is a starting a campaign at level one kind of deal, then yeah, the players are insignificant. If... The players decide to gain significance, then they will gain significance, and that is the plot thread will go down. Yeah, right. It it. 
I kind of leave that thread up to the players to pull on. I have some like reserves to put in, but if they don't chase after it, they don't chase after it, mm. right? See, I tend to run at it from the other perspective, where I will hit you hard and fast. If you are a hero at level one, you are already a superhero compared to the average person. Mm. You have already been selected by your god or your warlock patron or whatever. So here you go. You have divine, I don't know, intervention, providence. What, what, yeah. What's yeah. the word I'm looking for here? Uh, inspiration? Yeah, I guess, sure. So you have this favor? extra magic, divine favor. There we go. That You have been granted this divine favor and you are now able to do things that the average person can't. Not every priest is a cleric. Right. Not every knight is a paladin, right? And yeah. so you have special powers. And because of that, your god is already interested. Mm. And I'm going to have that god sending, I don't know, omens or messages in your dreams or whatever. And if the player doesn't give a shit, then the god will get disappointed with the player and we will see what happens. I'm interested in having them either commit whole hog or fall from grace. Right. And there is no penalty in 5th Ed to fall from grace. Not like before where if you multi-class into something else as a paladin in previous editions, you're fucked. Really? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. There were a couple of, of paladin builds that were like that. So The the spell, what is it? Uh, repentance? No. Uh, it was something like that. Yeah, atonement. You needed yeah. to have atonement quests if you fucked with your god as a paladin. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so um, because we don't have that in 5th edition, if you're just like, hey, you know what, I'm going to give my god the finger walk away. The gods are not gods, right? I mean, they are, but they're really just super-powered beings yeah. that can shapeshift, right? And travel between planes. Like, they're not, they're not the creation myth gods. They're, for the most part, they, they act almost like... Hercules level gods. Right, uh, that's right, yeah. A lot of them do when you look at the core rules, right? I, so. Yeah, I, I get that. Like, the fact that you could have an entire campaign arc where you take down Vecna. Exactly. Like, that makes sense, right? That these these are not insurmountable challenges, but they are nigh insurmountable. Yeah, yeah, right? they're, they're close. But my point is that they're mortal and they're fickle and they're, as much as they're immortal, you can stab one through the heart. Yeah. If you get this item and you bathe it in that thing's blood and you forge it in that fire, then you can stab it through this thing. That's just a Herculean myth to me. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I see right. what you're saying there. So these are not, you know, Christian God or or the Jewish God or the, you know, these are not the omnipotent, omnipresent, you know. Alpha and Omega types. Yeah. yeah. And so they're just, I mean, Mistra died. Right, like that's yeah. that's a ma- a couple of times, <laughs> once or twice. Right, so like that that's a major factor. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, then the gold, then the gods are fallible, and if the gods are fallible, then the players can give them the middle finger and not get too. I mean, you're gonna get bitch slapped. They're gonna send their people after you, and they're gonna be mid tier problem, and then you're gonna just move past it. Yeah, your god has bigger issues to worry about than that dickhead over there. Do you think then, because you're saying that, and I won't drag this out too long, do you think that the gods have a presence everywhere or they need to have a focus, they have to put their focus somewhere? I like the idea. Okay, Dan's got an idea. Go on. Yes. I say yes. They have uh, a passive perception for everything around. Right. Um, And that passive perception is basically when there's a bright flare of some severe heresy against their tenants, or if there's a bright flare of something that is a gigantic uh, affront or uh, boon even to them, uh, that's what will pop up in their peripheral. Um, but the second a god focuses in on a thing, it knows that thing in its entirety. Right, right. And, I mean, this does I like also, idea. this also does 
um, further the idea that the gods are not only um, just really, really powerful monsters at the end of the day, but it uh, also adds to the fact that um, depending on the type of god you have, you have a different type of focus, right? So if you have a god of knowledge, they're not really going to give two shits about that war over here that lots of people are dying, Yeah. right? What are they fighting over? Oh, some star-crossed lover incident fuck it i don't care not even not, not even, even a, not even a blip on the radar right yeah. and if a party goes to the god and say hey you need help us with the war that god might go oh that no pff, they know that it's happening they don't give a shit yeah right whereas if that was a war god that war god would be like yeah keep fighting yeah right and just like it's super <laughs> jack everybody missed the jerk off motion that they yeah, 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 yeah. Jerk yeah. Off so um, I'm, I kind of agree with Dan to a point. I think about it if the world is a giant map that you put out over your, you know, your war room table. It's a giant map of the world. And, um, wherever there's a temple, there is a little Christmas light that pops up. Right. And that is where they have providence over. The further that you go from a Christmas light, the less they can actually, oh, yeah. um, impact things. So they have to send people out there to spread more Christmas lights across the realm. As long as there's at least one. That God exists. Yeah, I like I'm, the idea. I'm thankful this isn't like the Christmas lights I have to put up on my house this year where if that one bulb goes out, they all go out. No, no, it's not like that. No, the idea is that there are there's these very small areas of... Um, and like, if you've got a bunch of temples that are all around in the same country, that whole country is lit nicely and the God can see it clearly. Yeah. Right? But there are going to be some things that these, these heresies, these... Um, these Blasphemies? Yeah, I guess blasphemies is a good word. Um, that happen will not just not just turn off lights, but also um, build little obstructions so you can't see behind them. Mm, I like it, like the old command and conquer game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can only see the lights. I like the idea of the gods having a fog of war from like yeah. Starcraft, right? Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it because, like, with the fog of war, you knew that something was there, but you might not know that it's there until you send your SCV down to die about it. Yeah, yeah, you're not sure what it is. You just, like, there's a red blip on your mini-map. Yeah. Go over there and see what that shit is. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>